you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of James. James chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. Verses 14 through 26 is what we will be reading. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table, and you can grab one of those, and it's on page 1114, uh, book of James, chapter 2. When it, uh, when it comes to cooking, a sharp knife is actually safer than a dull one. If you've ever heard that. Um, the reason is that a, a sharp knife does what it's supposed to do. It cuts where you put the blade with the amount of pressure that you need. And if you have a, a dull knife, it requires more pressure and more effort, and there's a greater risk of something slipping and causing issues. Um, I've had some of those opportunities of almost uh, losing a finger or two. Um, but a sharp knife is better than a dull one. And uh, as I... I share that in part because our passage today, I, I would think of it as a as a sharp passage, as a um, a sharp knife that is is intending to do something really specific and really pointed. It uses strong language. It communicates a, a clear but very difficult truth. And I think the danger in preaching such a, a sharp passage is actually to try to dull it um, and to dull it by over nuancing it. By, by over-explaining it, by not letting it say what it wants to say. Um, and the reason that it's tempting to do that with a passage like this is because it feels, if you read this passage, it feels like it comes up against a core truth of our faith, of what we teach, and that's that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works of the law. I don't want anyone to walk away from here thinking that we don't teach that, uh, and that's not that that's not a, a core doctrine that we hold uh, firmly to. Um, hopefully, as we've been singing, I tried to put a bulk of songs that emphasize that, and the, the way that Jake prayed and the way that uh, Joshua has prayed emphasizes that that we are our hope is in Christ and in faith in Him. Um, but I also want to let this text speak for itself and say what it is supposed to say without dulling it. So know this, that we are going to be in this passage for, for two weeks, and I will probably try to clarify and nuance it a little bit more next Sunday. Um, but I want to let the strength of what James says here uh, cut and convict and correct us in the way that it, that it needs to. Because I could dull this message to the point that it becomes uh, dangerous, but we could also dull it to the point that it doesn't cut at all. And that's that's also dangerous in its own way. If it doesn't cut in the way that it's supposed to, that then it's it's useless. So I want to read James chapter two verses fourteen through twenty six, and we're going to focus on verses fourteen through nineteen uh, this morning. Um, so having just talked about how we are to not show partiality and mercy and love of neighbor are the things that are to mark the children of God. This is what James writes in James 2, beginning in verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, 
is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We pray one more time. Lord God, we believe this is your word. Help us to see and understand it. I pray that you would help me to speak the truth. Lord, be with our time now in your word by your spirit. Help us to see, understand, and change because of it. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been packing up our home slowly but surely, and we've come across some things that are not worth packing um, because they are completely useless. <laughs> we had a curriculum that taught Spanish, but it was cassette tapes, uh, which I don't know if you know cassette tapes. Some of you may not, but they are notorious uh, for getting eaten by the cassette player. Well, we had it for a long time, and we had no cassette player, so we eventually purchased a cassette player and we would play these cassettes and I think Elaine was was playing with it maybe the first tape and it got eaten of course by the cassette player uh, and then you tried to get it out and it broke um, and in a curriculum like that where there's you know there's a progression one tape you know if you go to tape number two you're already into the next level and you don't know what you're doing so the whole thing was completely useless and so we got rid of it um, some of the, the ladies were cleaning out the nursery, and they found some useless things. This is very similar to a cassette tape. This is a VHS tape, and so they found some of these. And you know what we're doing with these? We are throwing them away because it is worthless. It's, it's useless at this point. Um, James here is calling us to, to not go through our house and pack things up and see what's worthless. He's calling us to look at our faith. And he's saying there's a danger for us to have a useless and dead faith. That's much worse than having a useless Spanish curriculum in a cupboard somewhere in your house. A useless faith is, is very serious. It's of eternal consequences. And James wants us to see this. A faith that does not lead to works of love is useless and dead. I think that's his main idea. A faith that does not lead to works of love is useless and dead. James has been hinting at the content of these verses, I think, for a while. If you look at James 1.22, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You remember that, that it's, it's foolish to hear the word, receive the word, and then not do what it says. 
And then in verse 26, he talks about worthless religion. And if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. If, if we claim to be religious, but we can't hold our tongue, then that's a worthless religion because it has resulted in nothing in our lives, no change. And now James is going to expand on that fact that, that faith leads to works of love, and if it does not, it's worthless. A faith that does not lead to works of love is useless, and it's dead. As we look at this, just consider briefly the, the structure of this passage. He, he sets the scene with a couple questions. Actually, there's a lot of questions, if you notice that as you read through. He's asking a lot of rhetorical questions, and we'll slowly answer those. But he asks two questions in verse 14. Um, that sort of set the stage. Then in verses 15 and 16, there's an illustration. Uh, verse 17 provides a summary statement of what he is saying. Uh, verses 18 and 19 have an objection that he answers, an objection to what he's teaching. And then in verses 20 through 26, we have two examples from the Old Testament of, of faith. So we're going to just be in verses uh, 14 through 19. So we're going to look at two questions. We're going to look at an illustration a summary statement, and then an objection and its answer. So I'll repeat all those as we go through them. But the first thing that we're looking at is, is two questions. Uh, two questions. That's verse 14. Let's look at it again. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? I think James is addressing the same issue sort of from two different angles. And the issue here is is false faith. I don't think the issue is weak faith. I think it's false faith. There are people who, who doubt whether or not they are a, a true follower of Christ. And I think that's a, a weakness of faith. But here we're focused on someone who has false faith, someone who claims to have faith, but in actuality that faith is not genuine. And its lack of genuineness is, is seen in the fact that there are no works that flow from it. So we might be reminded of how James said in verse 26 that we can deceive ourselves. And he wants us to see that we can actually fool ourselves into thinking that we have genuine faith in Jesus when we really do not. Self-deception is a tricky thing, though. It's hard to, to realize that we're deceiving ourselves. If I imagine that I am a great singer, which I am not, He's not supposed to laugh right away. I mean, <laughs> but I imagine that I'm a great singer and I decide I want to go on some reality show and, you know, show how amazing I am. I'm going to stand up there and sing. And the judges all say, you're terrible. There's no way that we're putting you on the show. Well, if I'm self-deceived, a lot of times what I'll say is, well, they don't know what they're talking about. They wouldn't know a good singer if it hit him in the face. We've actually seen, you, you see that sometimes. And people are, are self-deceived. Well, we can be self-deceived about about our faith, about who we are. So James is asking a couple questions that help us discern our hearts. Do we have true faith or is it false faith? And the first, the first question here has to do with the benefit of our faith to others. He says, what good, what benefit, what use is it if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? The works here, I think, based on the context before and after, would be... Um, particularly works of, of love for neighbor, deeds of kindness to others, works of service, of love for another person, especially someone who's in need. And James says, if someone 
has faith, and that faith fails to lead to any kind of goodness or kindness or love expressed to a fellow human being made in the image of God, what benefit of that is that faith to anyone? A faith that resides purely in the mind or purely in the words that we say with no resulting actions of love benefits no one. So the answer to the first question, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? It is of no benefit. It's, it's, no, it's of no good. It is worthless. And it's worthless for others, but not just to others, because look at the second question. The second question is, can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save the person who holds it? The second question emphasizes that a faith without works is actually of no saving benefit to the person who holds it. Can that faith, that faith that has no works, can it save him? What's the answer? No. Is the answer no because faith is insufficient to save? No. It's because that kind of faith is insufficient to save. He's not talking about that it's impossible for anyone to be saved by faith. He's talking about a specific kind of faith. Faith that does not result in works shows that it is not true saving faith. It's useless with regards to others, but it's also a faith that yields no fruit, and and therefore it's not the kind of faith that can save another person. Now, obviously, this is where we see James and Paul appear to come into conflict. Because Paul is so clear that salvation is by faith alone apart from works. But again, James is not talking about whether or not faith uh, is the God-ordained means of us gaining salvation. It is. That is how we gain salvation. Faith is the way we take hold of salvation because faith is an admission that we can do nothing to gain our salvation. When we come to God in faith, we are admitting that because of our sin, we are unable to to do good works, we are unable to save ourselves, and our only hope is to fall on the mercy of God, who has sent Jesus to live the life we could not, to die the death we deserve, and to rise from the dead to give us new life. James is not opposed to faith as the means of salvation. Rather, he's talking about the kind of faith that truly saves. And in fact, he is he's on Paul's side. He's trying to help those that would distort Paul's understanding of what faith is. He's talking about the nature of true faith. I think that's the key. What is the nature of true saving faith? That's what James is trying to address. And he's saying that the faith that saves is always a faith that will result in good works. Those works are not the root of salvation, but they are always the fruit of true saving faith. And James is calling us to look at that fruit of salvation in our own lives. It's, it's focused on ourselves to look at our own lives. Is there fruit of good deeds that show this faith is true and living? Now, he's going to start working it out here, and he does so next with an illustration in verses 15 and 16, and this is helpful. So the second thing we see is an illustration. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? We're given a hypothetical situation. It's a hypothetical situation that's similar to the one in verses 2 through 4, if you remember that. 
The issue there is partiality towards rich uh, and prejudice towards the poor. But here the issue is just, are you going to show compassion to someone who is in need? And as with the illustration at the beginning of the chapter, this is not a far-fetched um, situation. It's one that's rooted in reality. We're called to imagine a, a brother or a sister, a person who who comes into, we'll say, into our, our church Think that I don't think that's far fetched given where what he was talking about beforehand. But someone who arrives among us, and this person is poorly dressed. Their their clothes are tattered. They are worn. Uh, they lack daily food. Daily food. This is not an issue of they don't have enough money for lunch today. This is that every day they are struggling to have food. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough clothing. It's probably safe to assume that they don't have any shelter either. So the key things of life, clothing, food, shelter, nothing. So they come. Maybe they spend a Sunday morning with us. And we show no partiality towards them. We welcome them in. We make sure that they have a bulletin, that they have a Bible, they know what to do. And then as the service ends, we send them away with a few words of blessing. We say, go in peace, be warmed, be filled. But we do nothing to meet their physical need. And James says, what good is that? That's a good question. What what good is that? I kind of complicated the issue by saying that we've brought them into the church and we've proclaimed the gospel to them, didn't I? He <laughs> doesn't say that part. Because it's right, is it, is it right to proclaim the gospel to all people? Is, is that not the greatest need of every person? Is not the word of God, the food that our souls really need? And isn't the gospel even more important than daily food? Yes. I say yes to all of those questions. And yet alongside that, we also have James telling us that it would be unthinkable, unthinkable, for people who have been transformed by the gospel, by those, for those people who have true faith, it would be unthinkable for, for us to send such a person away without doing anything to meet their physical needs. A faith that would do that, a faith that would ignore blatant, desperate need, he says that's a useless faith, that's a dead faith. Nuance the situation however you want. Talk about however you want about what it is. But he's saying right here very blatantly, if someone has no clothes, has little to no food, and you send them away without doing anything to meet those physical needs, that's a useless dead faith. That's convicting because we've all done that. We've all done it as individuals and maybe we've done it as a church. And James wants us to see that if we would continually ignore the needs of others and then claim to be those who have faith in Jesus, we are deceiving ourselves and we have a false faith. Now, I, I thought about this. I was telling Jordan, I was wrestling with it because yesterday at our fellowship in the Word, we saw where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, and Joshua was really helpfully pointed out that before Jesus ever gives them food, you know what he gives them? He gives them the Word of God. He teaches them before he feeds them. And that, that's instructive. He proclaims the gospel to them. And I can say with 100% certainty that if they never received any food from Jesus, they were truly blessed by hearing him teach. But we also have to recognize that then he feeds them. He gives them food. It's a bit different 
I don't, I don't think that they were in as desperate a situation as the man here in James. But it is telling that Jesus gives them the word, and then he feeds their bodies. I also think about the paralytic. Remember the guy who was lowered through the roof by his four friends? He, he comes and he is in deep need, and he doesn't realize what his greatest need is. So when he's lowered down, what does he want? He wants Jesus to to heal him and make him be able to walk. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to him? Son, your sins are forgiven. Because that is his greatest need. But is that all Jesus does? No. Of course, if that was all Jesus did, if that man went through the rest of his life and never walked again, he would still praise God for having his sins forgiven. But Jesus shows compassion and Jesus heals him. This is difficult. I don't think it's one or the other. It's both and. To proclaim the good news and to neglect true need is useless and it's cruel. But to meet physical needs and to never speak about spiritual food and spiritual water, that's useless and cruel. It has to be both. Here's Spurgeon on the topic. Let's let him have a word. This is a sermon preached in 1854. Spurgeon said, Men have enough practical sense always to judge that if professed Christians do not care for their bodily wants, there cannot be much sincerity in their zeal for men's souls. If a man will give me spiritual bread in the form of a tract, but would not give me a piece of bread for my body, how can I think much of him? It's a pretty bold statement. Based on this, Spurgeon is reportedly to have said, I don't know if it's true or not, he said, maybe, if you want to give a hungry man a gospel tract, wrap it up in a sandwich. <laughs> I listened to Alistair Begg and he said maybe better if you want to give a hungry man a sandwich wrap it in the gospel tract either way I think that's good though James tells us that that if we would give men spiritual bread but not give them bread for their body then they will not think very much of us and they will not think very much of the faith that we're holding to and neither should we we shouldn't think much of our faith if we hold to it we see someone in desperate need, and then we do nothing about it. That leads to this summary statement in verse 17. So we've seen the two questions, this illustration, and then a summary statement. So, therefore, based on everything that he said, verse 17, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is trying to hammer this point home because this is not the only summary statement. Uh, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead, is one of them. He's saying, but, but he, he wants us to see that, um, that this is the core of his letter. This is the core of what he's saying is that faith leads to works. Remember, we've seen at the beginning that, that it, this, this true faith that we have, it's going to lead to, to a care and a concern for the poor and for the needy. It's going to lead to a controlled tongue. It's going to lean for, lead to a concern for holiness. So he says, faith by itself, if it does not have these kind of works, it's dead. It's not real saving faith. It's useless. He says it again in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What a statement. And verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If we're confused about what James is saying, it's not because he hasn't told us a number of times. 
He's being very clear about what he wants to communicate. There are many objections that people could bring to this teaching. And one of the objections is brought in verses 18 and 19. Look at those verses again. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The, the difficulty of these verses is, is the fact that there are quotation marks there in your text, but there are not quotation marks in, in the original text. And so we don't really know where the quote ends. But someone will say, mine has it, quote, you have faith and I have works, end quote. But the quotation marks could go somewhere further, could go all the way to the end of the, the verse. We don't really know exactly where they go. But in some ways, it, it doesn't totally matter. Um, in some ways, because what he's trying to communicate is that, that saving works, I'm sorry, saving, saving works, saving faith and good works are, are inseparable. They are, they are linked together. You cannot have one without the other. If one's missing, the other is worthless. So someone says, I have works. But works apart from faith will not survive because they are rooted in, in pride and self-seeking. Many people can do many wonderful and loving things in this world. We'd be fools to deny that. But anything that is not from faith is sin. And good works that are disconnected from faith are not of eternal value. But another person could say, I have faith. But as we've seen, if that faith never breaks out uh, in acts of love for neighbor, that faith is, is worthless. And the one who claims it has a false faith. It's worthless to them, and it's worthless to everyone else that they come in contact with. The works of love are the evidence that the faith is real. Let me try an illustration. We have batteries around our house, lots of double A's everywhere. And half the time I don't know if they're any good or not. We, we try to get the ones that have the little, you know, pinch it real hard and it shows you if it's any good. But if I don't have those, the way I test it is I put it into something and I try it. Will it work? Does it have enough juice to make this thing go? And if it doesn't make the thing go, then I know the batteries are dead. And I think in some ways that's what James is saying. If you have faith and it doesn't show up, if it doesn't result in action, then you know that that faith is dead. It's no good. You can't have one without the other. The works will be there as a sign that this is true. Satan. It takes it a step further in, in verse 19. He says that a person, if, if a, a person has faith but has no uh, corresponding works, they are just simply on the same level as demons. It's <laughs> a pretty bold statement, isn't it? The demons know who God is. They hold to the, the core truth of the Old Testament. He says, he says um, you believe that God is one. You remember that from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The demons believe that. They believe even more than that. They know who Jesus is. We saw yesterday, as we studied the, the Gospel of Mark, that the man who is possessed by legion says to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even he knows who Jesus is. But are demons doing works of love? No. And so they have useless faith. And if we know all of that, and we don't do anything good, we're the same as demons. 
Again, James is showing us that the nature of true faith is such that it will always lead to love and good works. If we are born again, we will grow. And we will be those who act out our faith. If we are good seed planted in good soil, we are going to produce a crop. And the crop is love of neighbor. If we have true faith, it will lead to acts of love. And if it doesn't, our faith is dead and useless. James is not the only biblical author that that makes this connection, that talks about good deeds connected to faith. We can even look back to the Old Testament and know that there's a covenant promise and there's trust in God, and yet it results in love for neighbor and love for the poor. Deuteronomy 15, 7-8, within the context of the sabbatical year, it says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. That's a call of the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament, the, John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, he's calling people to repentance. Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. Hear what he says. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. He said, this is John, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Yeah. Quite the preacher there. Uh, verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then all these people start coming to him. The crowds asked him, well, that, what then shall we do? What are the fruits of repentance? They're asking. He says, Whoever has two tunics, shirts, is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors show up. And they came to be baptized. And they said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers came. And they said, What are we supposed to do? And he said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. Repentance leads to love of neighbor. Every time, right with John. We read in, in the Gospel of, of Matthew, what uh, Jake read this morning, addresses these same issues, that a tree is known by its fruit, and the fruit is good works. And then one of the most telling passages, I've referenced it as we've studied this, but Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, what a powerful picture. It says here in Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? 
And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Best commentary I ever heard on that is Keith Green after he sings about it in his own unique way. <laughs> says the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and didn't do. That's how Jesus divides them in the end. Is faith the key to salvation? Yes. But it is so inextricably linked to these deeds of goodness and love for neighbor that Jesus in some sense can equate them. And he says, if you had truly been saved, when you saw these needs, you would have done something about it. But the fact that you didn't is a sign that you did not have true saving faith. Therefore, depart from me. It's a bold passage. And then later, 1 John, thinking about this connection between faith and works. 1 John three sixteen to 18 I'll just read these verses. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What a good encouragement. That we would not love simply in word or talk. That our faith wouldn't just be something that we talk about. Something that we hold in our minds and our brains. But it would show up in deeds and in truth. You know, it may be that true saving faith always overflows in acts of love. Because true saving faith is rooted in the greatest act of love on behalf of others possible. Doesn't that just make sense? If that's how we are saved, we are saved by the greatest act of love in history. God sending his son to die for us. How would it make any sense to be saved by faith in that and then have no love for neighbor result? That makes no sense. We're saved by faith and it's faith in the fact that Jesus was crucified us for us. That God loved the world and sent his son to bear our sin, to redeem us. If that's what saves us, then it makes perfect sense that faith in that reality will result in acts of sacrificial love for all people. We follow Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of love and care for others that flows from faith. There's a temptation to think that following Jesus, to relegate following Jesus to intellectual terms. To relegate it to just what we think about or and surely we need to hear and receive the word. And we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we know what the good deeds we're supposed to do because we read God's word. But as James says earlier, we got to do what it says. And if we don't do what it says, 
our faith is useless and dead. To follow Jesus is to walk in the way of love. We read, we study, and we grow, but we also wash people's feet. We give people food and water when they're hungry and they're thirsty. We go to people who have been hurt by others, like the Good Samaritan, and we, we bind up their wounds, and we sacrificially pay to help them recover. As James says, we care for widows. We care for orphans. That's what saving faith does. We give to the poor. We clothe the naked. We provide shelter for the homeless. We welcome strangers. We welcome refugees. We visit the sick. We encourage prisoners. We grieve with people who are grieving. We help people in distress, whether it's on the side of the road or on the other side of the world. This is what we do because we've been transformed by the love of God. We do it all because we were helpless. We were lost. We were dead. And the Father came to us in love. If we don't do this, our faith is dead and it's useless. But if we do, if, if the faith that we have overflows in love and good deeds, love for neighbor, then we know that we are holding to a, a living faith, not a dead faith. And we're holding to an eternally worthwhile faith, not a, a worthless and useless faith. It's a faith that's founded on love, and it bears the fruit of love. Love that changes us, and, and love that changes the world, and glorifies God.